WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. Good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD. And thanks to our chief weather observer, Jesse, for uh, telling us what the weather's going to be like. I mean, we've had, I think in the past two weeks, we've had winter, we've had summer, we had a hurricane, tropical storm, cyclone, whatever you want to call it, over the last couple days. Uh, The weather has been weird. I don't know what we did to Mother Nature, but she's mad at us. Typical Massachusetts stuff, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess. But uh, f- hopefully uh, if you had your power knocked out, it's back to being restored right now. Uh, where I am, we didn't have much. I went around and, went around and picked up a bunch of branches in the yard yesterday, and that was it. So uh, it is kind of interesting when you live in a small house and you hear branches banging across the roof in the middle of the night. That was sort of sort of woke me up, but uh, but all good. And so hopefully everybody did okay and uh any high water marks stayed away from your house so it's all good well um we talk about car repair a lot on this program and tools to help with car repair and one of the tools that i have used periodically is from innova they're a scan tool company and with us is keith andreason he is uh he's he's a scan tool guru at innova keith good morning and welcome to the car doctor program yeah hi john how are you Good. So, scan tool guru is that is that uh, is that uh, a good way to describe you? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Now, tell me a little bit about your background. I was—I'll be honest with you. I was—I stalked you on uh, Facebook a little bit this morning. Uh, you have a pretty interesting background. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been 44 years in the automotive industry, and here uh, in I'm certified as an advanced level double master tech from ASC. And in the state of California, I'm licensed to teach the uh, uh, emission program, perform emissions, and repair emission-related faults. And recently, I, I passed the heavy-duty inspection maintenance tester training. So now I'm credentialed uh, to test heavy-duty stuff. Uh, I also am a, a, an adjunct instructor at Santa Ana College. And you speak and you speak Chinese. I yeah, I had a little <laughs> bit of uh, conversational Mandarin. Yeah, there's a little. That's that's pretty that's pretty phenomenal and uh, um, and uh, it looks like over the years you've had a couple interesting cars in your garage and home too. Yeah, that's that's true. In fact, that's uh, what I tend to say is my weekend business, but that's yeah, Dotson Restorations. Well, that's that's pretty phenomenal. You know, one of the things you know we talk about. And I just got an email this morning from uh, from a reader, and they were they were looking at um, a tool they saw online, and it was some sort of a uh, Bluetooth uh, dongle code reader thing. And uh, you know, I, I kind of clicked on it, and it promises a lot, almost to the point where it sounds like it's going to repair your car for you. But there's a real difference between code readers and scan tools. Can you kind of take us through kind of what the differences are? I can. Code readers and scan tools use a car's onboard diagnostic system to identify or troubleshoot problems in the vehicle. These tools connect via the data link connector. Some folks often refer to that as the OBD2 port. Uh, These tools retrieve and clear codes and display data readouts from various sensors. However, 
While code readers provide basic information, scan tools offer additional features and professional level functionality for uh, OEM diagnostics. And that would include things such as bidirectional controls and enhanced diagnostics such as live data. Well, let's we'll get to the live data part because um, just the week or two ago, I guess maybe it was even longer now. Uh, one of my neighbors wanted me to uh, give her a ride to the local repair shop because her car was acting up, and I said, "You know what? Let's let's take a look and see what it is before you go there." And I happened to have uh, one of the Innova scan tools. I think it was the. 5610 but I'm not sure if that was it. Um and I went down and I and I looked and I said, you know, it has uh, uh, uh what appears to be a, a coolant temperature sensor code and then I went into live data and it was showing that the um that the coolant sensor was reading minus 2 degrees on what was a 80 degree day and the engine had been running for a while and it was racing really fast. So, you know, so when we dropped off the car at the repair shop, I told the the one of the owners of the, the little little two man shop, I guess, told one of the owners, you know, here's the code I found, here's what I read and um and that actually saved them a lot of time. They just verified it and made sure it worked. So that's sort of the live data part that makes life a little bit easier, providing you have an idea of what you're looking at, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the DTC gives you a, a, a what some believe is a, the pinpoint of, of the issue. Really, you need to uh, go into the live data, which is opens a, I always teach it as, as a window into that black box. Yeah, and yeah, and I think sometimes what happens is, um, you you know, somebody will scan a code and they'll automatically think, oh, it's a you know PO four twenty code, so it's got to be a bad catalytic converter. When and then they go buy a catalytic converter and they clear the code and they drive around and boom, the light comes back on and they're like, but it said it was a bad catalytic converter. No, it just kind of led you to a path, and it's up to you to make a decision from there, right? Yeah, that's correct. There's there's quite a few sensors that the the what we call the ECU or engine control unit is looking at, and two of them are the oxygen sensor or air fuel ratio sensor before the catalyst, and then the one after the catalyst, and it's trying to determine the efficiency, uh, oxygen storage efficiency. And, yeah, it, you know, the, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, fuel trim plays a big part of this. So it, it, you could have fuel trim um, adding 20% fuel on the base program. And if you don't look there first, you're immediately starting to replace parts that, that like the catalyst, which is very expensive, that wasn't quite frankly was not the problem. Yeah, and one of the one of the things I mentioned was it could be as simple as a, uh, and it happens a lot on some cars. It could be a it could be a cracked exhaust manifold or a leaking exhaust manifold gasket. And like you said, if you're watching the fuel trim, which kind of tells you where the mixture of fuel is, that's going to give you some of a clue that maybe that catalytic converter is working fine, but in fact it's getting too much air from someplace where it's not supposed to get it. Yeah, that's correct. In fact, a lot of folks don't understand there, there's negative pulses in that exhaust stream where it sucks back uh, fresh air from atmosphere, and there's your oxygen. So it, it's going to add some more fuel. And, uh, you know, it, and when it comes down to sort of the most basics of what makes engines work, it's, uh, you know, fuel spark and compression. And, you know, any one of those that's not quite right could cause the engine to 
malfunction, but maybe not malfunction in such a case that it's it's um, it's causing you know huge drivability problems, but still some sort of a problem. You mentioned bidirectional control. What does that really mean? Yeah, a bidirectional control tests the performance of an actuator, which are relays, fuel pumps, injectors, ignition coils, and other critical component components that are out what we know as outputs to the engine control unit. Uh, available tests may, may vary between vehicle makers. Uh, for example, a fuel pump relay. With bidirectional functionality, you can use a scan tool to activate or deactivate the relay, essentially simulating its real-world operation. This helps you identif- identify the output side of the relays working correctly or if the issues are on the input to the ECU. Another and that, one is the e- I'm sorry. And that, and that saves a lot of... Um a lot of additional tests with either, you know, some people test relay separately, some people have relay testing tools to be able to do that, and sometimes they'll just automatically assume that, oh, it's, it, must, it must be a computer problem. And, in fact, it's not that at all. Yeah, that's correct. What are some of the other examples of stuff that we can make work with our scan tools? In the EVAP system. Uh, these are actually, it's, it's, uh, depending on the level of functionality of a scan tool, this is really an interesting area. Uh, some some ECUs allow you to, or manufacturers allow you to, just command a test or what we call an end of the assembly line test, and it will run all and cl- open and close the purge and vent valves and bypass solenoids, and actually run that evap monitor at that time. Uh, others uh, where you you can activate or deactivate the system's various components, such as a purge and vent valve or a bypass solenoid. So this this allows the user to check for leaks. And when you're doing this, and and you know some of the, some of the other things that you can you can look at with a scan tool, can you ever get in trouble? Can you ever cause something bad to happen? I, I don't, I, and that's 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 one of those questions where never ever. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> like to, to say that it won't, but the the, the control modules have um, uh, protection. So if I go to pull that that, for example, an evap, and I open the purge valve and close the vent valve, essentially I'm going to pull to put vacuum inside that tank. It's going to bring it to a point, and then it's going to stop. It's monitoring the pressure of that tank, so I don't collapse the tank or blow it up, for that matter. Well, that that would be exciting, but probably not a good thing. So, yeah, it's just, uh, you're right. So, and um, you can you can also kind of um, look at ignition timing too, right? Yeah, you can. There there are there are some manufacturers that allow. Uh, you can uh, change ignition timing or just monitor it in live data and put, and put it into a default state. And one of the things I like about some of these scan tools now, especially if you're considering buying a used car, some of them you can read the mileage that's in the computer versus the mileage that's displayed on the dash, right? That is also true. That that's an OEM level of functionality. But uh, here recently, in 2019, I think model year, uh, California Air Resource Board and EPA, it, it's now uh, an OBD2 uh, PID, meaning it's a live data item that you can see there. But yeah, that that's true because some manufacturers actually allowed um, ed- editing, if you will, of the odometer. 
And although that sounds like a great thing, if you're if you're doing a repair or you're replacing a, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had somebody from a company called Upfix, and they do a lot of module repairs. They do a lot of instrument panel repairs, radio repairs, things like that, and they spin them around and send them back to you in a couple of days. And and they can at their end they can you know put in the correct mileage. But if if you're if you're getting a unit from a salvage yard, maybe you want to make that mileage on the odometer match what the mileage was originally. But then there can be some shenanigans that go on as well, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, in, in California, we require a tag that when a, when a odometer is is put in a vehicle, if it's not edited, it, it will uh, require a tag putting into the door uh, pillar area. Yeah, I noticed in even one of our family cars, and it was a used car I bought. I got a really good deal on it, and um, I looked and and uh, interestingly, and there was it was nothing that I know happened, and nothing that the uh, original owner before me knew about. But the odometer mileage was off about seven or eight hundred miles from the actual mileage displayed on the on the digital odometer. I'm like, and it just sort of made me scratch my head and go, hmm. I wonder what that was all about. I wonder. I wonder where in the life of the car the mileage got put in incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that one. I, I can't answer. Yeah, but I, I've seen this as well, specifically on Chrysler vehicles. Yeah, this happened to be this happened to be on a Volkswagen, and, and you know some you know some of those you know some of those things that uh, that you you kind of look at. And recently, and maybe not so recently, but Innova has come out with, and we see it in some other manufacturers as well, tablet-based scan tools. Um, and you've had a couple, but there's there's a new one out now. The the kind of the I guess it's the flagship, the seven one 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 or something like that, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we have, there's actually three of them now. We have the FCS forty three fifty and the seventy one eleven, which is our flagship. Um, yeah, these are some new tablets. And th- 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 there's a little bit of difference between the, uh, and I, I don't have the nomenclature down, the SDS ones and the and the, the uh, 7111. Um, what, are the, what are kind of the major differences between the two that, you know, if somebody's looking, they'll go, oh, I want this one versus that one. Yeah, well, let's, let's start with that 7111. The 7111 is an Android-based tablet with a detachable VCI, so then we can talk to that VCI by Bluetooth. And so all the functionalities of an um, uh, Android-based operating system is present at the SCS 7111, which uh, has OEM functionality for uh, powertrain and some body and chassis. Uh, on, on our SCS 43, this is a great OE-level um, powertrain or emissions uh, tool, which supports uh, bi-directional controls and enhanced live data for the powertrain controllers. And, and does the 7111 also um, have bi-directional control? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the yep. 7111 has, supports bi-directional controls and self-tests, which are routines that run in the control modules. So we can ask it to perform a test for us, like I had uh, indicated earlier about EVAP. Yep. Full functionality. And uh, there's also um, two different um, kind of 
companion programs, Repair Solutions 2 and Repair Solutions Pro. Um, What are the kind of differences between those? Repair Solutions 2 and Repair Solutions Pro are are app-based services. So as you you pointed out, they're a companion app. And they were created to assist both DIYers and professional technicians. And they allow for quick and accurate diagnosis diagnosis of uh, repairing today's vehicles. So... yeah, so I could dive a little deeper into each if you'd like. Just uh, just uh, kind of touch on both a little bit so we know, have an idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Repair Solutions 2 supports our tools that are found, for example, in retailers around the United States and Canada. Uh, they're, it's absolutely designed for DIYers. It allows you to view and save diagnostic data, uh, retrieve vehicles from the vehicle's onboard computer. Uh, at the core is an extensive knowledge database developed by compiling and analyzing years of real-world uh, vehicle service data. In fact, I was, uh, that, that was, I'm the guy who started that, and my gosh, uh, probably 20 years ago. Okay. Um, we, yeah, we build on uh, manufacturer-recommended diagnostic and repair information, and they're verified by ASC technicians. And, and on the pro side, the focus, and it's professionals designing tools for professionals, uh, RS Pro is what we call it, uh, decodes diagnostic data from the t- SDS tablets, which is our 43 and 50, and this data identifies the most likely component system for the vehicle's problem. And again, it's, uh, it's yeah, data collected over 25 years of uh, master techs and ASC uh, certified techs. So they sound similar, but they're a little bit different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're app-based. That's the similarities, and that's where it stopped. Excuse me. That's where it stopped, and we split off from there, and we focus on professional needs and DIY needs. And again, it's it's a professional uses this to make money and fix people's cars the first time. And DIYers are, are trying to, in many cases, save money and uh, take care of this themselves. So yep. there's definitely a use case differences. Yeah, and and I used I used the repair solutions app the other day there was a, a a person who lives next to me she's got an older chrysler sebring convertible and i heard her backing up into her little driveway and it sounded like it was skipping and hesitating a little bit and uh i i went over and just said what's up with the car and she said oh well you know we're going to get rid of it but um and i went over and started it up and it definitely had a miss but it wasn't a miss that was strong enough to turn on to flash the check engine light the check engine light was on but it wasn't it wasn't blinking so i said do you mind if i just scan it and see what comes up and it came up with a, a you know cylinder two misfire it was a chrysler like i said a chrysler with a three five or three six in it and um and sort of in the repair solutions answer to that it pointed to a possible fuel injector problem and which i thought was sort of interesting until i opened the hood and noticed that at some point in the life of this car and it looked fairly recent that someone replaced all six ignition coils so i'm kind of looking at it going you know based on what i know about these vehicles and how the injectors clog up um it's entirely possible that um you know, what I've seen before when you pull the intake manifold off, you'll see one valve that's all carboned up on that cylinder and the other one that, that doesn't look like anything's going on. And you know that that injector is just not firing right. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of absolutely agree. It probably is a bad injector in this. And, and that was sort of as a result of looking at the the companion app that kind of led you in the right direction. 
Yeah. Again, you said it earlier. You have fuel, spark, and compression. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but in his case, yeah, there's uh, definitely targeted vehicles that collected from uh, people that have actually worked on them and fixed them. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating technology when you look at it all, and um, you know, and I think you know the 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 folks at Innova uh, because they look at both solutions for the DIYer, which as well as the professional, I think are able to kind of blend those two things together. And and you have scan tools that that range in a variety of prices that fit a variety of budgets, and um, and you know, really just uh, try to try to help get people's cars repaired and get them repaired properly without wasting money. And and one of the things that's kind of neat about the Repair Solutions Two app is you can you can use it to pre-order parts, right? Yeah, that, yeah that's correct. In fact, part of the uh, most likely fix is identifying what com- <clears throat> excuse me what component to replace. What uh, what is that part? the part number, and then you have a link that, depending on where you purchased it, you can set up your retailer, and it'll point you to that part and where to purchase it. And give you an idea what it's going to cost. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. sorry. The the time involved, the difficulty level, and the cost. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff, and and good for people that want to try to fix their own cars. Keith, I want to... Thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday morning. I know it's a little bit earlier out there than it is out here on the East Coast, so I want to thank you for taking a little time out. And if people want more information, um, there's, a, there's a variety of websites they can go to, uh, the Repair Solutions Pro website they can look at, and uh, and uh, they can get information there if they want. They can go to just Innova's website. Uh, all kinds of ways to get this information and find out more about these scan tools, right? Yeah, that's correct, and uh, most of the major retailers in the United States. Yeah, so if you're going to Advanced Auto or O'Reilly's or somebody like that, chances are you're going to see you're going to see uh, these scan tools there, right? That's correct. Well, Keith, again, thank you for uh, for uh, both informing us, but also um, you know help helping to train the future technicians somebody's got to fix all these cars and old people like me aren't doing it anymore so yeah yeah thank you it was a pleasure to be on your show and you're right this is uh the future is the younger generation and i focus my efforts there yeah it's sort of interesting somebody somebody wrote to me just this morning and they're having trouble fix getting their bmw fixed because the bmw deal is short on tax and i'm like that really tells you that they're busy and you have become much more valuable as a technician today because there's more places looking for help than there there has ever been. And if you can if you can come in the door with some level of experience as well as kind of a good work ethic, you know what do they say? Showing showing up is ninety percent of the job, right? Yeah, that's correct. And yeah, the the number the percentage I'm not one hundred percent, but I normally use this as. Four technicians leave, only one enters. So this is for those listening that there's there's an opportunity uh, out in the automotive industry today. And with the evolution from internal combustion engine to EV, it couldn't be a better time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Keith, again, thank you for taking some time out of your day and joining us on the Car Doctor program, and I really appreciate it, and thank you for all you do. We need to take a break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. If you want to join us, our phone number is 781-837-4900. We'll be right back. On Friday, October 20th, join South Shore Health at their annual Moonlight and Miracles Gala, featuring a seated dinner, live auction with MC Billy Costa, and music by local band Hot Mess. This year's event at the Weymouth Club will support the growing need for emergency care in our community. In life or death scenarios, close-to-home emergency care is critical. Support these valuable services and purchase your tickets for the Moonlight and Miracles Gala right now at southshorehealth.org backslash gala. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Evans, tune into Twilight Showcase Radio, hosted by Sandy Stride and Keith James on 95.9 WATD and also at 95.9WATD.com. Search for Twilight Showcase on Facebook and visit twilightshowcase.org. Twilight Showcase, tomorrow night from 7 to 9 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. I want to talk about the car that kind of got me around this week through the hurricane, I guess. Um, Not that I really drove through the hurricane. I did, I did, will admit I did sneak down near the water to look at the waves where the my town had everything all closed off, but I still managed to be able to look at the big waves rolling in. I didn't do it during the peak of the hurricane, though. I did it yesterday morning. But anyway, uh, that was the uh, 2023 Hyundai Palisade. Um, it's classified as a midsize SUV, although it feels a little bit bigger than that. It comes in a bunch of trim levels, as well as front wheel and all-wheel drive. All models use the same 3.8-liter V6 engine. It produces um, pretty adequate 291 horsepower you know, in these days of, you know, high horsepower engines, you know, unless it's over 300, it doesn't sound like a lot. But this 291 just works fine in this. Depending on trim level, there are a broad range of tech features. Uh, our road test was in the top-of-the-line calligraphy model, which included a panoramic sunroof, large high-definition infotainment screen, quilted leather upholstery, three rows of heated seats, um, panor- like I said, the panoramic sunroof. Uh, cabin is really spacious feeling. Again, it feels more full-size than mid-size. Uh, my nephew and his wife are out car shopping, and they have a uh, they had a Chevy Traverse. They downsized to a smaller car when that lease was up. They're thinking of leasing a three-row SUV this time around. I suggested the Palisade might be a good good thing to look at. The cabins are a great place to spend some time. The seats are comfortable, offer plenty of leg and headroom. Uh, there's enough adjustments to accommodate every size driver. Uh, and also, because this was the premium calligraphy model, um, everything on the passenger seat was also adjustable, which a lot of times, even on uh, luxury cars, the driver's side is power adjustable. The power 
passenger side, they don't always get the power adjustments. They sometimes just get the manual adjustments. So this one seemed fine. Um, I thought the ride was comfortable. Um, the uh, the shifter is a push-button arrangement. Not my favorite, but I guess I'm starting to get used to seeing everything other than a shift lever, knobs, buttons. I'm starting to get used to it. And Yeah, the push-button works works okay. Uh, the infotainment system certainly one of the best actual knobs and buttons for most of the major functions. Uh, the SE and SEL... Uh, trims the uh, they seat a passenger with limited and our tester the calligraphy have the second row captain seats which was a nice trade-off and to me i'm never carrying more than a few people in this just works out fine uh cargo volume with all the seats folded is over 85 cubic feet and like some true luxury vehicles the seats can be power folded from the cargo area so you push a button the seats fold down as opposed to the more pedestrian version of my Hyundai, which you have to manually, you know, lift up a lever and push the seat. Um, with all the seats in use, you have all, you know, all three rows of seats in use. There's 18 cubic feet of uh, storage, and there's also some underfloor storage to keep valuables out of sight. Um, my Hyundai actually has underfloor storage, which is which I use quite a bit, uh, especially when going back and forth to Florida. You know, when I keep my you know, I, I use this, my little Hyundai, to tow my boat just to the boat ramp, 100 yards to the boat ramp. But having the, anybody who's had a vehicle with a trailer hitch and they have a dent in their shin because they walked into the trailer hitch, um, it's a nice place to store the trailer hitch, uh, you know, under the floor where it's not going to be in the way. It doesn't roll around. Just nice. The underfloor storage is nice. Uh, like all new cars today, there's plenty of 12-volt power points and USB connections. Um, on the road, again, the 3.8-liter V6 engine, you'd think V6, is that enough power? Yeah, 291 horsepower, certainly more than ag- adequate. Now, maybe if you had a f- you know, family of seven in here and you were towing a camping trailer, maybe it would work a little bit harder. But, um, you know, from what I could tell, again, fine. Fuel economy, EPA says 19 miles per gallon in the city, 25 on the highway. I average about 20-ish in mostly city driving. The ride's comfortable, certainly more designed as a, for family road trips than uh, twisty two lanes. But overall, it's a pleasure to drive. It's a nice vehicle. They did a nice job with it. And, um, you know, if you're towing a small camping trail or a boat, it works out well. And hopefully I muted my microphone just in time for that sneeze. How'd I do, Jesse? That sneeze come out on the air or not? You did great. Okay, good. All right. Um and the uh, and and it's a stylish looking car. Everybody that looks at it really likes it. Uh, if you want to check out, see what it looks like. Um, there is a there is an I like like everybody in the free world. I guess uh, I do have an Instagram page. If you just go to Instagram and uh, just uh, John F. Paul, you'll find my Instagram page where there's pictures of the various cars that I drive. And yes, there's also a TikTok page. I'm ashamed to admit it. Jesse, are you a TikTok guy? We do have a TikTok page. I'm also ashamed. <laughs> but you got to do it, right? You, you kind of have to. And uh, pretty amazing that you post something stupid and pick some good music to go with it. And, you know, 13 seconds later, 500 people have viewed it. So It's weird, the algorithm. Yeah, it the way, really is. The way it works. But, yeah, yeah you, you could upload 10 videos and get nothing, and then you can upload one, and all of a sudden you get a... 
Uh, thousands or millions of views, it can happen. It does. And speaking of millions of views, uh, some congratulations are in order. You know, people may not know you other than the uh, chief weather observer and executive producer of the Car Doctor program, but you have your you you and your brother slash partner and other partner have a uh, really interesting podcast. And you guys you guys hit a million downloads on iTunes. We did. Yeah, so it was a pretty cool milestone. And we've been yeah. kind of monitoring it for a little while. And, uh, yeah, we ended up hitting it. So. And the name of the podcast, in case people want to be the millionth and one? Well, if I'm going to get charged for this, I've got to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's hometown ghost stories. So we talk about haunted places all around the world. And, uh, you know, it's uh, tis the season. It is yeah. Spooky season. yeah. I put up some Halloween decorations yesterday with the kids. Watched them blow over in the quote-unquote hurricane. But, you know, we 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 got them set up so it's it's halloween season and you know we cover a bunch of uh, haunted places it's pretty cool i was in i was in walmart the other day they were putting up the christmas decorations so yeah they 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 don't they don't wait it they, are they really already going for the christmas they they, they had they had right? some they had some christmas stuff up in the seasonal aisle so oh, yeah, go yeah, figure yeah. yeah gets earlier and earlier every year it does um couple of couple of things that um you know, I, t- I like to talk about things that people send me, and, and one of them, and we had we had Tom Cotter, uh, uh, writer. He he does a lot of the uh, the you know what you find in a barn sort of vehicles, the the Cobra in the barn, the Ferrari in the barn. Uh, but he also wrote a book called America's Greatest Road Trip, and we had him on the program a while back talking about the book, and he was using a Ford Bronco when he was towing a little tiny Airstream with it, and. Um, he drove from Key West to Dead Horse, 9,000 miles across back roads of the U.S. And if you're thinking about a holiday gift um, for somebody who's a, a traveler and they like car stuff, um, this is a really interesting book. There's a lot of there's there's a lot of pictures of him, which is a little bit weird, but um, but a lot of the places where he is, where he's either gone camping, gone to museums, just gone to kind of cool places, you know, took pictures of cars that were just sort of out in the middle of the middle of nowhere, everything from, um, you know, tractors by the side of the road to, you know, there, there was a rusty GTO that was sitting in a South Dakota garage next to a bunch of folding chairs and beach chairs, just kind of real Americana kind of stuff to look at. And, um, and that, and it was, it, you know, just it's it's a good book, and if you're thinking about it, you might want to might want to look. And um, something which has absolutely nothing to do with the Car Doctor program, other than they sent it to me, and I, it's actually kind of cool. It's it's a, a book by Karen Pierce, P I E R C E, and it's called Recipes for Murder, and uh, which I guess is almost ghost stories, but it's. 66 dishes that celebrate the mysteries of Agatha Christie. And um it what it does is it kind of takes you through some of the uh some of the recipes of food that was mentioned in Ag- Agatha Christie's books. And I mean it is it is sort of weird whether whether it's uh they they have um you know macaroni au gratin at the Ginger Cat Cafe. Uh, it was a kind of place that specialized in morning coffee, five different kinds of teas, a few uh, sparing lunch dishes, as, such as scrambled eggs and shrimp and macaroni au gratin. This was the ABCs of murder in 1936, and it tells you how to make it. So, you know, if you're a fan of mysteries like Agatha Christie and, uh, 
you like to cook. It's kind of a neat thing. So another delicious death by cake. Um, he called it delicious death, my cake. I will not have my cake called that. It was a compliment, really, according to Miss Blacklock. He meant it. It was worth dying for to eat such a cake, and that was a murder announced in 1950, and it tells you how to tells you how to bake a cake. So if you if you're interested in that, again, some kind of something for the holidays. Uh, Karen Pierce recipes for murder. Um, it's a neat little book. Uh, hardcovers, twenty bucks through Countryman Press. So. Um, and it's kind of interesting. It says this publication not been prepared, approved, or licensed by the Agatha Christie Limited, RLJ Entertainment, or any individual entity associated with Agatha Christie or her successors. But it is kind of neat. And some of the reviews on it, um, it's no mystery that Recipes for Murder perfectly pairs delicious dishes, mouth-watering wines, and fascinating culinary history. We can't wait to execute a few of these classic recipes. Say... Uh, the people from Red Wine and White Wine. I don't know them, but I'm sure it's good. Anyway, so a little bit different, a little weird, but, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, if you are thinking about some stuff for the holidays, that's one of the things. Now, back to car stuff. Um, our phone number, if you want to join us, 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. And you can give us a call about maybe you have a question about your car. And we got quite a few interesting car questions this week. And um, and as I write my columns, I base a lot of them on, on the questions that we get that come in during the week. And one of the questions, and we get this fairly often, and this person owns two cars with CVTs, Continually Variable Transmissions. One is a 2011 Nissan Maxima. They bought it used off-lease from an independent car dealer. And the other is a 2017 Honda CRV with the 1.5 liter, the small turbocharged four-cylinder engine. It's a touring model. They bought it new from a Honda dealer. They have read that CVT, the Continually Variable Transmissions, only lasts about half as long as a traditional transmission. The maximum is nearing 100,000 miles, where supposedly CVTs can start to exhibit signs of failure. I guess in his estimation means that most transmissions last a couple hundred thousand, which is pretty true. I was at the GM transmission plant, I don't know, three or four years ago, and they were testing transmissions in this sort of weird-looking space-age simulator thing where it looked like it was you know, being tipped upside down and shook around and spun around. And I asked how far they test the transmissions, what's the equivalent mileage. And they say about 175,000. So I guess, yeah, you're in half its life, I guess. What should I be aware of with these two particular types of CVTs? And finally, what kind of preventative maintenance should I do uh, to keep these CVTs happy and fully functional? Um the earliest CVTs, and I think the very first one that I saw was in the three-cylinder Subaru Justy. And uh, a CVT transmission is sort of a, if you've ever taken a snowmobile apart, and where there's sort of two different size cones and a belt that runs between it, so you have this, you know, infinitely variable ratio uh, as one cone gets smaller the other cone gets bigger so you have more torque you have more speed and that's sort of what CVTs do and the other thing they're supposed to do is they're supposed to keep the engine RPM in this very optimal fuel economy range so you get the best fuel economy and do they do that mm, sometimes 
sometimes they feel like they just sort of get hung up. Uh, the older ones, uh, Ford dabbled in CVTs for a while with the uh, Taurus or whatever they changed the name of the Taurus to for a while. It was terrible. It just felt like it was always just not in the right gear if there was such a thing. Um, my experience with CVTs has been that they either last several hundred thousand miles or they break really early in life. Um, especially the earlier Nissan vehicles. I haven't seen the problem with the Maxima. Um, but something like the Nissan Rogue, either they have problems at thirty or 40,000 miles or they go 10 years and they don't seem to have a problem at all. Um, they Nissan doesn't have a particular interval to do fluid changes unless you drive aggressively, tow a trailer, you know, that kind of stuff, do a lot of off-roading type things. And then they recommend fluid changes every 60,000 miles or so. Uh, so maybe if you want to really be on top of your vehicle, um, change the fluid as if you were driving it aggressively, even if you're not. So this person that's gone 100,000 miles, take a look at the fluid, see what it's doing, see what you want to do with it, um, and maybe you want to change it. The Honda, on the other hand, um, I would just sort of let the maintenance minder tell me what to do and just kind of look at it and go, hey, look, you know, the uh, oh, it's time for a fluid change, and then just kind of go from there. Um, as good as Honda vehicles are, and no one can argue they make some of the best vehicles on the planet, their automatic transmissions were a problem, especially in some of the earlier Accords and stuff like that. Uh, they were getting, you know, 80,000, 90,000 miles. It started to act up, and they would need to be rebuilt or replaced. Um, that's why I think Honda went to a CVT, because in theory, it's a simpler design. Also, in some of the uh, more heavy-duty vehicles, the Ridgeline and the Van uh, and the Pilot, um, they went to either a 9- or 10-speed more conventional automatic transmission. Um, what's the CVT feel like when it's starting to break? You'll usually get a shake or a vibration. Um, and also, they're very sensitive to low fluid levels so it's important to make sure the fluid levels stay full and if you notice any drips and drops underneath the car uh, have it looked at um, to make sure there's no particular leaks one way or another I have gotten a fair amount of emails from the question I put in one of the newspapers about the person who had the Ford Explorer that parked under the neon sign at a Napa store and they said the car wouldn't start uh, the guy who ran the Napa store went out and shut this neon sign off. Car started right up. And, you know, weird electronic stuff. Um, somebody else said to me their garage door opener interferes with something else with their car. Um, this person wrote to me and said, I recently read one of your articles about one of your readers with auto electrical issues and thought I'd share mine. I have a 2016 Audi S4. Nice little performance four-door sedan that reacts oddly when passing under the toll gantry at the lower level of the George Washington Bridge. So they're going in and out of New York. They say crossing under the gantry causes my windshield wipers to sweep across the windshield once or twice. I take the bridge on my way home from work, so this is a trip I take often. Um, he says I'm nonplussed. Word I have to look up to see what that really means by the fact that this doesn't happen every time I make the trip, but I have no idea why it happens at all. I consider it to be another one of life's lesser mysteries. Um, 
it's referred to as a phantom sweep or phantom wipe. Um, and Jesse, you know, you know ghost stories, so you know about phantoms, I guess. So, but this is a uh, a phantom wipe, and it happens with every manufacturer. That all of a sudden you'll be driving down the road. It could be a perfectly bright day, and the wipers will take one or two sweeps across the windshield. The idea that it's doing it specifically at the toll gantry tells me maybe the electronic gantry is interfering with somehow. Maybe your your easy pass transponder is causing something weird to happen. Um, I don't know. I guess if it really bothers you, just shut the wipers off. Um, you know, the, the probably probably left them on auto all all the time, uh, so they work when it rains. So you don't have to turn them on. Um, but I guess it's one of life's little mysteries and one that doesn't seem to have much of an answer. So something to think about. Um, this is kind of a funny one. We actually used this for trivia a while back. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, I recently watched the movie A Man Called Auto, and there was a Chevrolet electric pickup truck in the movie. The truck doesn't really exist, or certainly not at the time frame of the movie. How does that happen? Yeah, it's at the... I don't want to ruin the movie. But, yeah, um, the truck shouldn't have really existed in the time frame. Why does that happen? Um... Many vehicle manufacturers, they use product placement in movies and television. Uh, what you saw was more than likely an early pre-production model of the all-electric Silverado pickup truck. Um, automakers, they work with the production companies to tease new models and gauge reactions. You know, if you're a fan of the Iron Man movie, you know, the Audi e-tron was in that movie. Um, a very, very kind of casual uh, thing, if you're a fan of the, I think it's only Netflix series, Lincoln Lawyer, the Fisker Ocean made a cameo appearance. It showed up in a parking garage. And you sort of had to notice it um, because I'm a geek and I tend to look for stuff like that. Uh, you do notice it. Sometimes they're a lot more blatant with their product placement than uh, just sort of, you know, putting a car in the background. Um I was watching that old the old series twenty four, and at one point they said something about um, take the F one fifty, kind of a bit blatant on that kind of uh, you know endorsement of that I suppose. So uh, you know that's that's one that you might you know think about and go oh that seems a little blatant. The other one was I was watching some movie and I don't remember what it was other than it was. Bruce Willis, and I, I don't know, he played like a crooked cop or something. And um, uh, whoever was visiting, I can, I'm sorry to destroy this so badly, but whoever was visiting drove up in a, in a Land Rover or a Range Rover, and then they had to go out and go drive through the woods to go do something. And the woman whose house it was said, oh, no, let's not take that, let's take my my Ford Bronco because it'll do a much better job driving through the woods than your Range Rover. Mm, maybe not. Uh, but she never actually said Range Rover. She just said, let's take my Ford because it'll do a better job. So, eh, I don't know. Uh, the next one up, a uh, person with a 2011 Honda Accord, it only has 83,000 miles on it, has leaks in the power steering return line, and they were told the whole front carriage 
will need to be dropped in order to reach these hoses. All the maintenance is performed at the dealership, but this type of repair is radical, their words, at over $2,500 uh, since the dealer also wants to replace the entire steering gear. I don't know that I can trust that the frame will be the same to drive if the carriage is dropped and reinstalled. It's like remaking the car. Um, Honda explained that these leaks occur because the... Um, the car is 12 years old. Is it necessary to drop the front carriage or could stop the leak solution fix the problems? Uh, will it be safe to drive the car if the carriage is reinstalled by the mechanics as opposed to the manufacturer? First off, I think I'd get a second opinion um, and find out what's really leaking. If it's the return line, which is an odd one as it is, because usually what leaks with power steering is there's a pressure line and a return hose. The um, pressure line runs off of the power steering pump, runs through a valve into the power steering system. That's what gives you the power assist. The fluid returns back to the pump through a low-pressure line. So it's unusual the low-pressure line would leak. Honda does run a series of long metal tubes that act as cooling for the power steering fluid. Maybe one of those is rusted away. Um, don't really know without looking at it. And maybe what they're saying is we want to replace the power steering line in the rack and pinion unit because we want to do them together. I don't know why. Um, so I think this is a good opportunity to get a second opinion, which should only take 15 minutes for someone to look at and see what's really leaking. If it's a rack and pinion unit, yeah, you're going to need to replace it. If it's a power steering hose, you can replace just the power steering hose. You don't have to replace the whole rack and pinion unit. It's an odd one because it's a bunch of pieces. Uh, so you have to see what is what and see what's leaking. Is it the flex line? Maybe. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just a little $14 flexible hose. Do you need to remove the subframe to replace the power steering hoses? No, you don't. Is it is it a pleasure to do? Not really, but you don't need to drop the subframe. If the rack and pinion unit is leaking, you do need to lower the subframe, the carriage that I think they're referring to. You don't totally remove it. You just lower it down to get it out of the way, get it so you have access to the, the bolts and everything to hold the power steering system together. And then you take it out, put the new one in. Um, Power steering hose, maybe an hour or two worth of labor. Rack and pinion unit, probably closer to five hours worth of labor um, to get it all done, plus wheel alignment and so forth. Um, but I would get a second opinion. Well, what did they call it? They didn't call it stop leak. What did they call it? Stop the leak. Uh, will stop the leak solve the problem? No. Uh, as good as stuff like Lucas... Uh, power steering fluid and conditioner sort of product that um, can help swell up seals and stop leaks. Uh, it works okay on leaky seals. It won't work on a leaky hose. So um, fix fix the leaky hose. Go to go to a good repair shop. Go to a you know Sullivan Tire or someplace local repair shop. Have them take a look at it. Um, see what's wrong. If it's just a hose, replace the hose. If it's more than the hose, replace the rack and pinion unit. Um, and again, uh, once it's reassembled put back together, bolts are tightened up, torqued to where they should be, any bushings that are worn get replaced. It'll be as good as it was when it was new, nothing to worry about because the factory didn't assemble it. 
Why don't we take our last break? I don't think we did that. So why don't we take that last break? If you want to join us, our phone number is 781-837-4900. We only have a few minutes left, but we could probably squeeze in a phone call for the end of the program. Phone number again, 781-837-4900. You'll listen to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com join. Hello, I'm Tyson Sunderberg, co-founder of Type 1. On Tuesday, September 26th, Type 1, a nonprofit organization based in Hingham, along with Type 1 Fitness of Norwell, will hold a golf tournament, dinner, and silent auction to raise funds for Type 1 diabetes research and to assist those living with the autoimmune disease. Presented by Type 1 and sponsored by Honeydew, Power for the Cure Golf Tournament will be held at Indian Pond Country Club in Kingston. This event is open to all ages and abilities. To learn more, visit type1fitness.org. That's T-Y-P-E-O-N-E fitness.org talk radio with a south shore point of view hi i'm kevin tachi join me tomorrow for monday night talk where the south shore comes to talk tomorrow night after the six o'clock news here on 95.9 WATD. make an appointment sunday morning at 11 for john paul the car doctor on 95.9 WATD. now back to the car doctor Okay, welcome back to the Car Doctor program. I am planning on buying a 2022 Infiniti Q50. It's a certified pre-owned model. Looking at the Carfax, it appears the powertrain control module has replaced it 85,000 miles. And uh, it's on the lot right now, and it has 93,000 miles, 9,300 miles. So 8,500, 300 so that tells me that is 800 miles since that repair was done the car also had a coolant temperature sensor replaced a radiator cap and the rear brakes given the car's age and low mileage are these red flags should i buy the car well there's no common problem with that module so when i looked up on Mitchell on Demand, which is called Pro Demand these days, or uh, All Data. I didn't see anything that said, oh, there's module problems with this vehicle. So my concern is whatever prompted the change didn't fix the problem. That's why the car ended up being traded in soon after repair. Now, I'm using a lot of conjecture, if that's the right word, um, you know, making a bunch of assumptions that that might be the issue. Um, this car, like many, uses something called a CAN network, low and high-speed communications network. So modules talk to modules to make sure things work. And there has been a bunch of bulletins about CAN network and repair strategies and how to fix them. So is it a good buy? Uh, it may be, but without knowing the complete history of the vehicle, it's hard to say my inclination would be, unless you love the car, I it might be a headache. The idea that there was that module replaced early on like that really could indicate that there might be really something up with the vehicle. I recently read an article, and it sort of reminded me about uh, replacing batteries as we're getting into, you know, thinking about Halloween and Christmas, which... 
I wasn't at all, by the way, but if you were thinking about those kind of things and, um, you know, maybe thinking about a new battery in your car, uh, you know, is there a proper way to replace your battery? Yeah, kind of. Um, you know, the best that you, cars like this Infinity have pretty sophisticated memory systems in them. So sometimes just disconnecting the battery, the computer will lose its memory. And the worst thing that can happen is maybe the radio won't work afterwards but that can be a real pain so if you do if you look in your owner's manual see if your vehicle has a coded radio uh for instance the older volkswagen actually both the volkswagens i have uh the one that's here and the one that sits in florida um they both have codes on the radio but the computer in the car stores the code so when you disconnect the battery it doesn't cause any problems if you remove the radio and try to put it in something else it wouldn't work but if you um just disconnect the battery it's fine but what will happen is on the Volkswagen especially the newer one uh, if you disconnect the battery um, every dash light comes on so the steering angle sensor light comes on ABS light comes on low uh, pressure lights come on so use some sort of battery backup system uh, to be able to hold the memory of the vehicle and always Disconnect the negative battery cable first so you don't short anything out. Disconnecting the positive cable, your wrench could hit something metal, and it will become a big heavy fuse and get real hot and cause a lot of sparks, and you could get hurt, so don't do that. Well, we are just about out of time, so until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.